guys. Welcome to another edition of the Homeless Politicast. This is your host, Jim. Hope everyone is doing it. I have a couple of news stories here for you. And of course, we have the big election coming up here real soon. Um, The first one is from Michigan Live or MLive. And it's an article by Taylor DeSormo. And it says, poll challengers can be within six feet of Michigan election workers. And the state agrees to it in settled lawsuit. So it says election challengers won't need to bring their binoculars to watch over the election process on Tuesday. The Michigan Secretary of State's office has settled a lawsuit about social distancing requirements for poll challengers and watchers filed by the state house candidate, Steve Cara, a Republican from Three Rivers. The parties announced the deal in front of the Michigan Court claims Judge Cynthia Stevens last Wednesday. Masks are still required for poll challengers and watchers who can medically tolerate them. But the state will send out new guidance this week about social distancing requirements. The original directive from Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson said election workers can strictly enforce social distancing between challengers and poll workers. The new guidance allows close contact in in necessary situations. Kara's attorney, Matt Granda, said in Wednesday's hearing, to the extent that it is necessary to stand in closer proximity to election workers to have a special a challenge heard, to observe the poll book or perform any other legal duty, challengers and poll watchers are permitted to do so, provided close personal interaction is as brief as possible, Granda said. Stevens also asked the state to uphold its frequently asked questions page online to reflect the change. State law allows poll challengers to observe the process and challenge procedures. People must register with their clerk's office in advance through a political party or group to be a challenger. Poll watchers have less power. They're essentially just a fly on the wall. Anybody can be a watcher and stand in the designated space without needing prior approval. In the lawsuit, Kara submitted a recording of a Detroit poll worker training where an official told workers to keep challengers six feet away at all times, admitting they'd need really good vision or binoculars to see what's going on. Robert Cushman is also a plaintiff in the lawsuit. He was a poll challenger in August, but wasn't allowed within six feet due to social distancing. This made it nearly impossible to do the job per the lawsuit. SOS officials called this a frivolous lawsuit earlier this week, saying challengers were already allowed to be within six feet of workers when necessary, although that wasn't clear in the October 16th directive. Well, this is good news. I'm happy to hear that. Um, We should always have the ability to have poll watchers. I mean, not everybody. We don't have to have a thousand poll watchers in every location, but it is good that we have an open and transparent system, unlike many other countries, where citizens can, or groups of citizens, can in fact go in and watch the votes being tallied, not stand over the shoulder and watch people how they vote, but to make sure that there's not anything irregular going on, not, uh, you know, there's no favoritism, there's no throwing out of ballots, there's no adjusting machines there's no you know stuff like that i mean i have never been in a position where i've seen that happen but we hear stories all over the country 
of where there is ballot tampering or there's voter fraud or people are, you know, having ballots thrown in the trash or whatever. I've never seen it myself. I'm not, I'm not going to claim that I myself have witnessed it. It's all secondhand information. But you hear about these things, and it is important that we have people who can make sure these are free and fair elections. Um, they're not being held in some secret back room, and then we're just told later how the vote turned out, and nobody's ever able to see or anything like that. So I'm really happy with this decision. Um, I was concerned when I saw that you know, that they would, didn't want the poll watchers to uh, to be very close. They had to be far away, which didn't make any sense to me, but but it, it made me concerned. Um, but next story is from the Detroit Free Press, and it's by Paul And the headline reads, Judge strikes down Benson order banning open carry of guns at Michigan polling places. And it reads, a Michigan judge on Tuesday struck down Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson's directive banning the open carry of guns at polling places on Election Day. Michigan Court of Claims Judge Christopher Murray said it appears the directive amounted to an administrative rule under state law. And Benson did not follow the proper procedure to create a new rule members of the public are required to follow. He issued a preliminary injunction against the directive. It is important to recognize that this case is not about whether it is a good idea to openly carry a firearm at a polling place or whether the Second Amendment to the U.S. Constitution prevents the Secretary of State's directive, Murray said in a written opinion issued just hours after he heard the oral arguments in the case. The court's duty is not to act as an overseer of the Department of State, nor is it to impose its views on the wisdom of openly carrying firearms at polling places or other election locations, he said. More importantly, its constitutional role is properly limited to only declaring what the law is, not what it should be. Murray handed down his ruling the same day the Detroit branch of the NAACP said its members and area attorneys will monitor polls across the city and state on election day and will report to police and prosecutors any instances of voter intimidation or voter suppression including voters feeling threatened by gun-carrying individuals watching the polls. Benson said it, Benson and Attorney General Dana Nessel, both Democrats, quickly issued statements saying that they will appeal the decision. As the state's chief election officer, I have the sworn duty to protect every voter and their right to cast the ballot free from intimidations and harassment. I will continue to protect that right in Michigan. Vincent's directive, issued October 16th, banned the open carry of guns on Election Day, not just at or near polling places, but around municipal clerks' offices and places where ballots are counted. Uh, Murray ruled in favor of the plaintiffs in two cases brought against Benson in recent days. The first suit was filed by Robert Davis, a Wayne County operative and serial litigant. The second case was brought by gun rights groups Michigan Open Carry Incorporated, Michigan Gun Owners, and the Michigan Coalition for Responsible Gun Owners. Davis called the ruling a victory for the rule of law and said Benson's directive was an unnecessary overreach by an executive official in state government. Murray said Benson's directive was a rule that should have been pro promulgated under the Administrative Procedures Act, allowing for public input and legislative scrutiny. 
The secretary just didn't do this in the in the right way and at the right time, Mary said. If she wanted to ban the open carry of firearms at or around polling places, the secretary should have done this months ago. Assistant Attorney General Heather, Heather Minesgast argued the legislature gave Benson the option of issuing directives without going through the rules-making process. Minesgast called it the permissive statutory power exemption. The judge acknowledged, acknowledged the exemption existed, but said it was misapplied in this instance. The concern about guns at the polls was not apparent months ago, but has become apparent in recent weeks as a result of developments such as the foiling of an alleged kidnap plot targeting Governor Whitmer involving armed men who belong to an anti-government group, Mindgast said. Now there are voters who are afraid, she said. There are election workers who are afraid. Murray said the exception to the rulemaking process can apply when the directive conflicts with state law. He noted that the legislature has specified places where open carry of firearms is not permitted and polling places are not among them, unless the polling places happens to be in a church or a school where they have not given the gun owner's permission. Or I guess that's for the church, not for the school. Other places where open carry is banned include courts, theaters, sports arenas that seat 2,500 people or more, daycare centers, hospitals, casinos, and places where the licensed sale of alcohol consumed on the premises is the primary source of income. Murray noted that there is already a state law prohibiting voter intimidation at polling places. If Benson was allowed to institute the gun ban without going through the rulemaking process, she could do absolutely anything regarding elections and not have to comply with the Administrative Procedures Act, Murray said. But Meingast countered that Benson was able to sidestep the rulemaking process because her directive does not conflict with state law. There is no Michigan law that gives the affirmative right to open carry firearms, Meingast said. It is permitted because there is no law prohibiting it, except in certain specified places. That void gives Benson the space to, carry to ban open carry at the polling places, just as school districts were able to set their own policies restricting the carry of firearms on school properties. In the absence of a law that expressly grants the right, we're talking about an inference that there is a right to carry. An inference is not a right. Murray was appointed to the Michigan Court of Appeals by former Republican Governor Ingler in 2002. The Court of Claims, which handles many cases involving the state of Michigan, draws its judges from the Court of Appeals. Um, so I, that's just kind of the end. There's a little more, but they talk about more how the thing's set up. Um, yeah, I, this one, it is, it is true. We don't want voter intimidation, but there are laws against that. So I'm actually, uh, I don't have a problem with the open carry firearms at the polling places as long as they're not intimidating people. Uh, I don't know where these people are that are always scared that I hear about. I just, I don't understand it, why people are so scared of everything. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, there are things to be afraid of. I'm not saying that, that being scared is, you know, a sissy kind of thing. I mean, you know, all of us are scared of something and, and fear something, but, um, Always, I'm always hearing Democrats talk about how the people are scared. The people are scared of the virus. People are scared for their children. People are scared in this, and we need to, you know, um, 
we need to do something about it. Well, of course, Republicans have said it when it comes to terrorism, too. You know, they'll, they'll claim people are scared of Muslim terrorists and they're scared of, um, you know, all this. So we need more laws. But but it's a big thing with the Democrats. Democrats are scared of everything, it seems like. They're just scared of everything. And I don't, I don't know of anybody who's scared polling people or voters who are scared to go down and vote in person because there might be a person there with a gun inside the building. If you're not scared to see a police officer with a gun on his belt, then why would you be scared to see a citizen with a gun on their belt? I just don't understand it. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I, you know, if there's any case where there is voter intimidation or things like that, there are rule, laws against it. They can call the police. Police can come there, and if the police have to monitor the so-called monitors, you know, to make sure that nothing's happening, so be it. I mean, I don't see the big fright. And also on top of that, I don't know what, why the Democrats don't want people to vote in person. I'm not sure. Well, I have some guesses, but. You know, before it was the virus, people have to vote by mail because the virus is so bad. People are going to be scared to vote in person, so we need to have this process where everyone can vote by mail. And then that ended up fizzling out because people have shown that they're not really that frightened to go to the polling place because they're going everywhere else, especially in Michigan. They've ignored many of the restrictions that Governor Whitmer put forward and are going to packed rallies and they're doing protests and they're going to theaters and, and bars and having hosting parties and things. So now suddenly it's one, uh, now people are scared to vote in person because of, uh, because there might be people there with guns. So, you know, um, I, I don't understand why they're so afraid uh, to let people vote in person, but they're constantly trying to scare people into, this is why you don't need to vote in person. Vote by mail, vote by mail, vote by mail. So, um, but I was wondering exactly because last week we talked about this. There is no law she's drawing it on. Um, if you have a right to open carry, there are certain areas where it says that that is not allowed in the law. But polling places, like they said, unless it's in a church or a school where it's already prohibited by law, um, or in schools, uh, in churches, the church leaders have to make the ruling as to whether you do allow guns on their property um but if then i don't know how you could just invent and say you can't allow guns into a polling place if it's not required by law and this mine guest um it just sounds like a, a good nazi name mine guest um oh it reminds me of mine Kampf. that's what i'm thinking of uh but you know she has a backwards idea of how our government works she says, since there is nothing in the law that prohibits it or that allows it, then therefore it shouldn't be allowed. In her mind, the government makes rules for the citizens and uh, in the Constitution, and these things are for the citizens. And if it doesn't explicitly say that you can carry your gun in a polling place, then you don't have the right to do that. And she's backwards. Our laws particularly uh, or our constitution and these things are to tell the government what their abilities are and where their boundaries lay. 
This is how far you can go and no farther. Everything else is left up to the people. So if it doesn't say specifically that you can open carry in the polling place, or that you can't open carry in, a, in the polling place, that means you're allowed to do it because it's very specific that this ruling only that this ruling applies to everything except, you know, bars, except in schools, except in hospitals and casinos. It outlined exactly where the government has the authority, where they're taking the authority to say we are banning guns in these areas, the open carry in these areas. It does not mean unless it does not mean that guns are banned everywhere except where we tell you you can have guns. It's written the opposite. Guns are allowed everywhere except where we've stated the government is going to put its foot down and say, for the safety of these people, we're not going to allow guns. In. So she's totally wrong. He has a person has every right to have an open carry in a polling place unless they pass a law, the legislature passes a law prohibiting that. So I, I, I'm 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 fine with this. This has not been a good week for Benson or Nesser. Um, both of them have have overreached, as our governor has. Uh, they're all overreaching, and the court is pulling them back. And I know exactly why. They said, you know, that she should have done this months ago, and why didn't she do it then? I'll tell you exactly why. Because they wanted to do it as close to the election as possible, so that if you appealed it or took it to court, it wouldn't get to court in time. It's one of those things that the ruling would affect the next election, not the current one. That's why they waited until, you know, just a little over a week before the election to put down these new rules because they didn't think the courts would take it up. It would get, you know, through the process fast enough. And even if it did, many courts would say this is such a contentious issue and there's not enough time to really go through it before the election. So we'll let the order sit until after the election when we can have time to go through it with a fine tooth comb and research it and and debate it and debate it. You know, it shouldn't be decided um, you know, in an hour's time or something. Like a lot of judges, as it gets closer, will make that ruling that it's gonna require more time than just immediate tell us yes or no, can we do this? And they say, Well let the order stand until after the election and then we'll take time. That's exactly why they put it out this late. Is they're hoping that the judges will wash their hands of it until after the election and just let the ruling stand right now so that's anyway it's been a it's been a bad week um for the democrats in our state they've they've tried several things here and we've seen the judges strike down whitmer's unconstitutional executive orders now the open carry uh, uh the open carry ban and the uh poll watcher ban um they were all set up so um so this is encouraging to me. It's encouraging to me that even if even if the election turns out in a way where the Democrats take the Senate, which I, I, I really – I'm kind of moving my prediction up to 90 95 percent the Democrats will take the Senate. But even if, if the Democrats take the White House, I'm still encouraged that most of our courts are looking at – are going to look at the rule of law. I still have no idea how um, the Republican court years ago, Supreme Court, 
ruled in favor of Obamacare. I still do not understand what John Roberts was thinking, because there's no reason why that should have been kept. Uh, that should have been constitutional. But for the most part, our judges are pretty good and fair, and they make rulings on the Constitution. And like here, um, that is one thing that gives me hope, is that even if even if Democrats were to sweep everything, uh, that we still have we still have a court system that we can rely on, which will nullify a lot of things. So, in essence, they'll win the battles, but we'll win the war. You know, they'll win the battle; they'll get something passed that we don't agree with. But at the end of the day, we win the war because it'll be ruled unconstitutional. So, that gives me hope because we're seeing now that the overreach is. Uh, it started to become evident, and judges ruled against it. And I, I think, I can't speak of how America is going to be in the next, where the America is going to be two years from now. But in Michigan, I think the Democrats are going to have a reckoning in Michigan in two years because of this constant overreach. When these people all come up for re-election, they're going to be in a tough spot. Whitmer, Benson, Nesser, these three top Democratic women are going to have some a real hard time winning the election because there's going to be a backlash against it, this behavior at the polls. Um, because these are all state things. I don't know how Michigan's going to go in the presidential race. But when it comes to the state races in two years, I think you're going to see a huge backlash against the Democrats here in Michigan. Um, the third story I want to touch on real quick is not is a culture story and then if we have time um, I'll talk a little bit about the election um, although uh, predictions at this point oh I already told you my prediction about the Senate so but anyway this is from the Daily Wire by Paul Boys and uh, a model a model named Emily Ratjakowski that's a name Ratjakowski won't force gender-based preconceptions onto her baby it says model, progressive activist, and socialist Bernie Sanders supporter, Emily Ratjakowski, is pregnant with her first child and will not be announcing their gender until the child is 18 and can choose for themselves. When my husband and I tell friends that I'm pregnant, their first question after congratulations is almost always, do you know what you want? We like to respond that we won't know the gender until our child is 18 and that they'll let us know then. Rat Jakowski penned an essay for Vogue. Um, okay, already, I have to stop, already. Okay, first of all, when my husband and I tell our friends that I'm pregnant, their first question after congratulations, uh, congratulations is not a question. So why would, that? that's just stupid wording. Um, she should have said like their first, the first thing they say after congratulations. Um, and do you know what you want? You know, I, I mean, I guess the question is asked, but um, most of the time when I know somebody's having a baby, I don't ask them, what would you like to have, a boy or a girl? Um, usually I just ask them, are they having a boy or a girl? But I don't, I don't usually ask them, what do they want? Um, you know, it might come later. I might just ask, you know, if you kind of had a preference, would you rather have a, a boy or a girl? But I don't know, because it's not like a deli section. It's not like a buffet where you go through and you just choose. I think I want a girl. I think I want a boy. 
you know, I mean, you can kind of have a preference, but, you know, it's mostly just, you know, what are you going to have? Do you know what you're going to, do you know what's going to be a boy or a girl? And the second thing, and the third thing here is we like to respond that we won't know the gender until our child is 18. What, you're not going to change a diaper? You're not, of course you're going to know what gender it is. Um, you know, you have no idea. I don't know how she thinks she's going to do this. She's going to raise, she's not going to know their gender until the child is 18. And they'll let us know then what, what, what kind of child abuse is this? How are you going to explain to the child what bathroom they're going to use? Or if you get split up into boys and girls and they're just sitting there like, I don't know what to do. I'm not sure. How are you? I, I, I just don't understand why you would subject your child to that. It's like naming your kids something weird, you know, that you think is cute and funny, but the child is embarrassed to death by it. You know, like you are that self-centered, Miss Rat Jankowski, that you don't care about your child. It's like the parent who spoils the child, lets the child do whatever they want, you know, throw tantrums, get their way, it, you know. They refuse to discipline their child because, well, I think discipline is cruel and kids should be allowed to explore themselves and, and things and they shouldn't have to suffer from repercussions for their curiosity or anything. No, you're being lazy. You're, you're, you don't care. That child is going to grow up to be spoiled. You understand what the word spoiled means. People seem to think that spoiled means that you love your child. Like, I spoil my child. That's wonderful. I love my child. The more I spoil my child, the more I love my child. The word spoiled, if you talk about spoiled milk, that does not mean that's milk that you love. That's milk that is no longer good and you have to dump it down the drain. A spoiled apple is an apple that you do not eat. You take it out. If you have a barrel full of apples and one of them is rotten and spoiled, you take that apple and you throw it as far away, get it as far away from the other apples as possible because you don't want that apple in there with the other apples. It's not the apple that you choose to eat if it's rotten and it's spoiled. It's not the milk that you choose to drink if it's spoiled. Spoiled means that you've ruined the child. You've spoiled it. It's no good for anything now. It is not a proper thing. And that's what we're talking about here. She doesn't care enough about her child to, to give the child boundaries, even gender boundaries, to say, this is who you are. And what happened to you're born this way? You know what I mean? Like for years, I'm old enough to remember this, for years, when homosexuality first started becoming prominent and you had people who were saying homosexuality is a choice, you know, homosexuality is a condition. It can be, you know, they said, no, we're born this way. This is how we are born and you have no right. We can't choose anything. We are born this way and, we, and everybody has to accept the fact that this is how we were born. But when it comes to if you're born a boy or a girl, now they're saying it doesn't matter if you're born this way. It's how you feel. It's a choice. Um, I can choose to be male or female because of how I feel. What happened to you're born this way? Accept it. Everyone has to accept it. If you're born a boy and you really would like to be a girl, tough cookies. Too bad. You were born a boy. That's how you're born. Just like they claim if you're born homosexual, Nobody wants to be gay, they say. Nobody wants to be gay. This is how we're born. No. Well, so, okay. Nobody wants to be, you know, so if you're a boy, you might not want to be, but that's how you're born. Just like if you're born gay and you want to be straight, too bad. You're gay. 
you know, I, I don't, I just don't understand this. How, how hypocritical you, you can't choose if you're gay or not, because that's how you're born. But you can choose if you're a boy or a girl, even though you're born with a certain gender or an, uh, anatomy, but you can choose that. That's, that's a choice. Um, I, that's just, that's just bull. That's malarkey, as Joe Biden would say. It's absolute malarkey. And this just infuriates me. The article continues. Sorry for that little diversion. After going on for several paragraphs about her childhood issues and her apprehensions about having either a boy or a girl, weighing the pros and cons for both, Rat Jackowski then comes to the conclusion that forcing gender preconceptions onto babies damages them in the long run. I don't like that we force gender-based preconceptions onto people, let alone babies, she wrote. I want to be a parent who allows my children to show themselves to me, and yet I realize that while I may hope my child can determine their own place in the world, they will, no matter what, be faced with the undeniable constraints and constructions of gender before they can speak or even bef before they are born. I used to call myself superstitious, but now I understand it another way. The idea that I could jinx something or the belief that I could project my thoughts in a particular way to bring about a certain result is actually called magical thinking, a coping mechanism one develops to make oneself feel more in control, she continued. Ratjakowski concludes by describing the sense of peace she now feels by resigning away from such gendered thinking as well as thoughts about parenting and pregnancy in general. She does, however, refer to this being inside of her as a person. I used to use magical thinking whenever I wanted something to go a certain way. Now, though, I don't try to envision a pink or blue blanket in my arms. I'm too humble to have any false notions of control, she concludes. I'm completely and undeniably helpless when it comes to almost everything surrounding my pregnancy, how my body will change, who my child will be, but I'm surprisingly unbothered. Instead of feeling afraid, I feel a new sense of peace. I'm already learning that from this person inside my body, I'm full of wonder. Emily Ratjakowski is an avid supporter of abortion. In 2019, she even shared naked photos of herself on Instagram while scolding the quote-unquote white men in red states voting to ban the practice. This week, 25 old white men voted to ban abortion in Alabama, even in cases of incest and rape. These men in power are imposing their wills onto the bodies of women in order to uphold the patriarchy and perpetuate the industrial prison complex by preventing women of low economic opportunities the right to choose to not reproduce. The states trying to ban abortions are the states that have the highest proportions of black women living there. This is about class and race and is a direct attack on the fundamental human rights women in the U.S. deserve and are protected by under Roe v. Wade, our bodies, our choice. And that is done, because, and I'm glad because I couldn't handle much more of that. She needs therapy, her child needs therapy, and what on earth did posing nude have to do with banning abortions? What did, what did one have to do with another? I don't even get that. Why? I, okay, 
She needs a literal help. She is crazy. She is a lunatic. I don't know who her husband is, but someone needs to punch him in the face. Uh, that he would even bring a child into this world with her. Uh, this is just this is just ridiculous. I I can't. Emily Ratjakowski. Um, I'm gonna that name. I'm not gonna easily forget. Uh, she is a lunatic. And this might seem a little callous, but looking at the picture of her, she's not even attractive. I don't know how she managed to be a model. She's not even very good looking. She's way too thin, and she's got an ugly scour on her face, which makes sense. But um, anyway, it's just it's just child abuse. I don't understand what I I just don't I don't understand it. I just don't get it. This is becoming beyond stupid. It is beyond stupid now. Where they're so concerned about being woke, I don't understand. And then she thinks she's so smart. You know, uh, just the way she talks, you can just tell that she thinks that she is just being brilliant here. And she's stupid. There's no other word for it. She's absolutely dumb as a rock. She she fulfills every stereotype, except she's not blonde, but she fulfills every other stereotype of a stupid model, a dumb model, which, again, surprises me because she's not that great looking, you know, but she looks like one of those people, but, you know, the dumb model who gets by on her looks and not, she doesn't have to have any brains because she'll get jobs and she'll get a husband and probably a rich husband and all that. But again, she's not that great looking, and I, and I just don't know what her husband is thinking. I assume she's married. I guess that's true. She could have just gotten pregnant and not be married. Um, but I don't know. I I wonder what the father, um, of this child is thinking about this. Um, how is she going to dress this? There's just so many questions. How is she going to dress the child? You know, I mean, I know that. Girls can wear it, – it's acceptable for girls to wear pants. So, I mean, I suppose you could just put this it child in pants all the time, you know, and not – but there are so many things that she's talking about with gender conformity. There are so many things. How you dress is gender conformative. How you do your hair, whether you have earrings, whether – you know, even as a child – there are certain things that you can tell and say it looks like a boy or a girl. So how is she going to raise a child gender neutral? Uh, you know, if she puts the child in a dress, then that's not gender neutral. She's dressing it like a girl. If she lets the girl grow her hair out and puts it in curls and puts a bow in her hair or whatever, then, then that implies it's a girl. You know, I, I, don't if she if she has it you know dressing it like a boy because we don't have gender neutral clothing you know like you have clothing for boys and you have clothing for girls if she chooses to dress the child in boy clothing and keep its hair short or whatever then then she's then she's dressing it raising it like a boy so how i don't know how she thinks she's going to be able to raise this child gender neutral because everything, everything you do 
is going to, at some point, push gender identity onto that child. And I don't even, I don't even know why I'm using the word gender identity. I'm just, I'm using the liberals' words because I can't, because there's no actual words for the stupidity. So I have to use their words. You're, you're going to promote gender identity any way, any way you do it. You know, so I don't know how you're going to raise that child to be um, gender neutral. And like I said, if you put that child in school, which of course she might not, she might have a private tutor or something. Um, you know, there has children. I'm not even a, a therapist. I'm not even a psychiatrist or a psychologist, but it's, it's crazy that children need to, to fit in. I mean, they feel that need all kids do. That's part of, you know, the, you know, that's part of the process of growing up. It's part of the process of learning, uh, how to behave in society when other kids rip each other apart. I'm not saying that's great, but that's a part of the learning process. If a boy, you know, I'll just use an example um, from when I was a kid. If a boy came in wanting to carry a purse, the other boys would tease him to the point where he realizes that that's not appropriate. The boys don't carry a purse. You know, that's part of how we learn. We learn, guys learn from other guys. Girls learn from other girls. They learn what's acceptable because of peer pressure. And that can be good and bad, but they learn. They learn to fit in. Um, be part of the team. You, people want to fit in. So you don't want to do something that's going to be odd. You know, so if all the other boys are playing baseball, you might not be very good at baseball, but you're going to try because you want to fit in with the other boys. You know, if the girls are, are putting on makeup and all that, then as a young girl, you're going to want to wear makeup too, you know, and feel like one of the girls. Um, so I don't understand this child, how it's going to grow up in this weird uh, you know, you're not a boy or a girl. All the boys are going to play over here, play baseball, and all the girls are going to go over here and play hopscotch or something. You know, if you're if you're not associated with either one of those, what are you going to do? Like, you know, and if they choose one or the other, what are the parents going to think? How are they going to handle that if he comes in and says, all the boys are playing baseball and I want to play baseball with them? Well, uh, wait, wait, wait. No, that's kind of gender conforming. You're already kind of conforming yourself as a boy. That might not have been the right thing to do. You know, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I just, I just don't understand. I don't see how this is going to last more than a few days. I just don't see how it is going to work. Um, I just, I find it deplorable. I find it disgusting. And I'm just very angry about it. Um, tell us what you think on the uh, on the website or on Facebook or whatever. Tell us what you think about this. This is just, in my mind, just insanity. Um, I know it's not widespread. I know we're not having, you know, these are just big names. And so they get media attention. I know that. I know it's not the average person. It's not something that I've come in contact with. I've not come in contact with anybody anybody who said they're raising their kid gender neutral or you know um but it still disturbs me that these are even issues going on that these are the kind of lunacy this is the kind of lunacy that 
you could imagine like an ancient Egypt or something, you know, you know, like where they, they, you know, where you lived in a male society. I mean, you saw that even with the pirates and stuff like, and, and Reedy, I think was her name. Uh, and, and another one, Bonnie, uh, Mary Reed, I think Mary Reed and Anne Bonnie, that's what it is. They were two women who, um, you know, lived in a male society and they dressed up as men. They pretended to be men because that's the only way you could succeed in that society. They pretended to be men. Um, Deborah Sampson was a woman who believed strongly in American independence and she wanted to go to war and fight for America. And she was told she couldn't because she was a woman. So she disguised herself as a man and enlisted and fought and actually took a bullet to the leg. And that's how her, it was discovered when she had to go to the doctor for the bullet wound. They discovered she was a woman. You have had that long ago, not where women denied it, but they pretended to be men. Because that's because by being a man is the only way you could achieve anything other than just being a housewife. So I could understand it back way back then, where it was a male, male dominated society, where you really did have patriarchy and things like that where you might not want your child to be acknowledged as a girl because she would be treated differently in society. So you address her as a boy. Now home, at home, they would know she's a girl, but in society, she would have to be treated like a boy or act like a boy. I, you know, But I can understand that in some of those countries and way back then. But in 2020, when there are tons, a woman can do pretty much anything a man can do. I mean, I mean, obviously there are certain things, but, but as far as workplace things, she can pretty much do anything a man can do. I mean, there's no real glass ceilings. They talk about the glass ceiling for the presidency. It's only a glass ceiling until it's not. I mean, you know, if, if they ran the right woman candidate, she'd win as president. I mean, I mean that it's not like there's a barrier that you can't get above that they say you can't go this high. Women can't be president by the, by, by the constitution or something. There's no limits on what women can do. So I don't know what this deal is about gender conformity and uh, identification and all this and why we shouldn't tell you to be a boy or a girl. What does it matter? Boys and girls are equal today. They can both achieve great things. We have women. The only only areas where we don't have we've never had a woman is vice president or president. And that's not and that's not. Uh, and it's just because um, the only one we ever ran for president was was crazy and so far left that nobody wanted her. And for vice president, they were running with, with men who were disasters. Walter Mondale, Geraldine Brower ran with Walter Mondale. Sarah Palin ran with John McCain. And Kamala Harris is running with Joe Biden. Um, that wasn't their fault. That was the head of the ticket. Well, we don't know about Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, but I'm saying the other two. The head of the ticket is what lost the party. It wasn't because of them. It lost the election. So women are capable and have done everything. There were women astronauts, women generals, women Women police police officers, firefighters, women, you know, in every, you know, women governors, women senators, women CEOs, women have done everything that men could do. So why on earth is there such a, uh, uh, a desire to not have men or women to raise your child as a man or a woman because because it's 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 oppressing them. Nothing oppresses them. Women can do anything. Women can do anything in this country. Um, women can do more than men can do. Men can't have babies. You know, women are capable of having children. Um, you know, there's a lot of things women can do that men can't. 
But I don't know if anything a man can do that a woman can't do. I mean, you know, maybe a few things, but I'm not going to get into those. Anyway, the point is, um, we're about done here. Uh, next week uh, will be the election special we'll be talking about. Um, hopefully we'll know the results by next Wednesday, but uh, if not, we'll, we'll talk about that. So everyone just enjoy. Thanks for watching. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you all next week. Bye.